Please take your Bibles. We're going through the Psalms. <clears throat> and uh, I have on the schedule to start Zephaniah the end of this month. The, what's that, the 30th? I think Sunday, July 30th. So that's, that's the plan. So we'll see how that will go. That's the plan, so <clears throat> be praying as I'm preparing for that. I've actually been doing some reading, lots of reading and researching, so it's been good. Today we're gonna do Psalm 29. Psalm 29. Psalm 29, been going through the Psalms. We did 26, 27, 28. Today we'll do 29. Next week we'll do Psalm 30. So today, Psalm 29, page 403 in that black Bible in the chair in front of you, page 403, Psalm 29. Let me read and then we'll jump in. Psalm 29, a psalm of David. Ascribe to Yahweh, O sons of the mighty. Ascribe to Yahweh glory and strength. Ascribe to Yahweh the glory due to his name. Worship Yahweh in holy array. The voice of Yahweh is upon the waters. The God of glory thunders. Yahweh is over many waters. The voice of Yahweh is powerful. The voice of Yahweh is majestic. The voice of Yahweh breaks the cedars. Yes, Yahweh breaks and pieces the cedars of Lebanon. And he makes Lebanon skip like a calf and Syrian like a young wild ox. The voice of Yahweh hews out flames of fire. The voice of Yahweh shakes the wilderness. The vo- excuse me, Yahweh shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of Yahweh makes the deer to calve and strips the forest bare. And in his temple, everything says Glory. Yahweh sat at the flood. Yes, Yahweh sits as king forever. Yahweh will give strength to his people. Yahweh will bless his people with peace. A local sports caster doing radio coverage of an Indiana high school football game from the stands used a chart listing the names numbers and positions of the players to help them describe the action. Well, then it began to rain. The ink on the chart ran and the numbers on the back of the players were covered with mud. Identifying the home team players was easy, but the only familiar name on the lineup of the visiting Chicago team was that of Blansky. It was a linebacker who was up for all state. As local listeners didn't know the Chicago players and the station wasn't powerful enough to reach Chicago, the sportscaster made up the names of every Chicago player but Blansky. And since Blansky was the only legitimate name, he did his play-by-play with Blansky making most of the tackles. The next day, the Chicago coach called him to say he had done a really nice job of covering the game, except for one thing. Blansky had broken his leg in the first half and spent the second half in the hospital listening to himself playing one heck of a game. I guess he didn't deserve all that credit. Hardly any of it, maybe. We give credit to those who deserve it. 
But when it's all said and done, God is the only one who should get the credit for anything, who should get the credit for everything that takes place. And so when we come to the psalm, Psalm 29, that's how we can title it, Give God the Credit He Deserves. Give God the credit He deserves. God deserves the credit for everything. He is sovereign. God deserves the credit for everything. He's sovereign. He's Lord over all. If you miss anything, don't miss this um, penetrating truth from Psalm 29. Give God the credit He deserves. He deserves the credit. He is sovereign. So when the storms of life rage, remember that our God is sovereignly in charge, so give him the credit he deserves, and as we do, he will strengthen us and give us his peace. Storms of life will rage, and that's when we need to remember that our God is sovereignly in charge. So give him the credit he deserves, and as you do, He will strengthen you. He will give you his peace. Stephen Lawson, again, I highly recommend his commentary set on the Psalms. He says this, quote, the greatness of God's unrivaled, unrestricted sovereignty calls for all creation to give him glory. This psalm is a song of confidence in God that voices the praise due his name. And remember, this psalm comes on the heels of 26, 27, 28. In 26, 27, 28, it seems like these three songs were <clears throat> compiled together, possibly written during David's flight from Absalom and Absalom's rebellion. If you remember, David was crying out to the Lord, vindicate me, not that I'm perfect, but I'm doing everything you've called me to do. This is what's going on. And yet David resorted to the fact that Yahweh manifests, Yahweh God manifests his glory and strength. He resolved to trust God. So you see 26 coming, 27, 28, and here you have this psalm of praise in 29. Or it's, it's like he just, just throws it all down. He says, I'm gonna give you the credit you deserve. And that's how the first point begins. Give God the credit he deserves. Verse one. Notice, ascribe to Yahweh. Ascribe to Yahweh. Ascribe to Yahweh. Three times. Ascribe means to recognize. To give credit. Attribute. So give credit. Attribute. Recognize who the Lord God is. Render back to God cheerfully and joyously in admiring recognition. This is what David resolved himself to do. How he resolved to respond, recognize God's position as sovereign God. His character revealed the nature his attributes of holiness, power, 
majesty. This happens again in the Psalms. In Psalm 96, Psalm 96 verse 7 sounds familiar from Psalm 29. Ascribe to Yahweh, O families of the peoples, ascribe to Yahweh glory and strength. Ascribe to Yahweh the glory of his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship Yahweh in holy attire. Tremble before him all the earth. Say among the nations, Yahweh reigns. Indeed, the world is firmly established. It will not be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. So give God the credit he deserves. And notice he says, Scribe, O sons of the mighty. Here he summons what we think is talking about here is holy angels. He summons holy angels to praise God. One of the chief functions of the angel was to give God credit, give credit to God for all that he is and all that he's done. Uh, Psalm 89, verse 7. O God greatly feared in the counsel of the holy ones, awesome above all those who are around him. And yet not just to angels, but David includes in verse 11, God's people. We should give God the credit he deserves. Give God the credit he deserves. Now, two questions come up here. David's gonna bring up two questions, so to speak, and then answer those two questions for us. First, it's what, and then why. Question number one, give God the credit for what? Give God the credit for what? Three aspects he brings up here in verse one and two. First, give God the credit for his glory and strength. Give him credit for what? For his glory and strength. Recognize, give credit to Yahweh, O sons of the mighty. Credit to Yahweh, glory and strength. Recognize his glory. Recognize his strength, his power, which he manifests. God is sovereign in all his attributes, over all the heavens, over all the earth, over all the events that are happening right now in your life. God is sovereign. Remember, coming on the heels of David's possible flight from Absalom, David resolved, Yahweh, you're manifesting your glory. You're manifesting your strength. So why do I, why do I have any fear from those who are against me? I shouldn't fear. Give him credit for his glory and strength. Uh, even thinking about uh, John 17 when, when Jesus says, Father, glorify your son just as the son has glorified you. What gives God the most glory is when Jesus hung there on the cross. The cross gives the glory and shows the gl- very glory of God, both his love and his wrath, both his mercy and his judgment. Give God the glory for what? The glory and strength for his glory and strength to give him credit for his name. Give credit to Yahweh the glory due his name. Do his name means the reputation of his character. What's his reputation? He is supreme in heaven and his holiness and the only one who deserves glory. His name is glorious. Reminds us of what the Lord said to 
Isaiah, Isaiah 42, 8, where Yahweh speaks and says, I am Yahweh and that is my name. I will not give my glory to another, nor my praise to graven images. That was Isaiah 42, 8. There's no one like him. This is the reputation of his character. Give God glory, give him credit for what? For his glory and strength. Give him credit for his name. And here's a third one. Give him credit that's worthy of worship. Give him credit that's worthy of worship. Notice the last part of verse two. Worship Yahweh in holy array or holy attire. Worship, bow down in holy adornment because of the glory of his holiness. Only those who are holy, who are set apart, can truly worship before such a majestic holy God. Holy meaning he is otherness. He is godness. He is separate from us. There's no other God like him. So we must carefully, fearfully, reverently, admirably worship him. We should not come to God flippantly, but reverently, humbly, fearfully, and yet realize we can come to his holy throne to find grace. The writer of Hebrews tells us this. In Hebrews 4, 14 through 16, we've had a high priest who's passed through the heavens, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, And then he says in verse 16, let us therefore draw near with confidence to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and may find grace to help in time of need. We can come to his holy throne to find grace. We can worship him because he's given us grace in Christ Jesus. I also wanted to make mention to you, uh, so you have this, uh, this psalm is actually you can, so to speak, repeat it in First Chronicles. We read from First Chronicles. First Chronicles 16. This was David's psalm of thanksgiving towards the end of his life. First Chronicles 16, verse 27, says this. And you'll recognize lots of the phrases, similar phrases from Psalm 29. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and joy are in his place. Ascribe to Yahweh, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to Yahweh glory and strength. Ascribe to Yahweh the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come before him. Worship Yahweh in holy array. Tremble before him all the earth. Indeed, the world is firmly established. It will not be moved. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice and let them say among the nations, Yahweh reigns. Let the sea roar and all it contains. Let the field exult and let all that is in it and all that is in it. Then the trees of the forest will sing for joy before Yahweh for he is coming to judge the earth. Oh, give thanks to Yahweh for he's good for his covenant love is everlasting. Then say, Save us, O God of our salvation, and gather us and deliver us from the nations to give thanks to your holy name and glory in your praise. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, 
from everlasting, even in everlasting, then all the people said, Amen, and praised the Lord. Give God the credit He deserves, glory and strength, credit for His name, uh, credit worthy of worship. That was the first question. Give God credit for what? Now question number two. Why should we give God the credit He deserves? Why? David here in the text only gives us two reasons. Reason number one, because he shows his power in nature. That's in verses three through 10. He takes most of the psalm to show how God is described, or Dave, excuse me, David describes God's power in nature. Yahweh made himself heard in the language of the thunder, revealing himself in the storm. You'll notice it goes from glory to voice. So he shows his power in nature. And what happens here is the awesome display of a thunderstorm is revealed as reflecting God's supremacy, his power, and his sovereignty. Geographically, David moves from the Mediterranean Sea to the north of Palestine, then to the south. Why does he do a storm? Because the noisy sounds of a storm rouses us from our sleepiness. It wakes you up, right? Sometimes in the middle of the night when the monsoons come in and you're hearing the, the, the thunder and, the, and you see the lightning, the flashes of light. It wakes you up in the middle of the night. It rouses you awake. That's why God's voice thunders. So notice what he does here, starting in verse 3. He starts off here with the voice of Yahweh. He keeps saying the voice, the voice, the voice, the voice. And he does this to show that his word is connected to his personhood. His, his word is connected to his voice, which is connected to his personhood, who he is. The voice of Yahweh is upon the waters. The God of glory thunders. Yahweh's over many waters. The voice of Yahweh, the very word of Yahweh symbolizes Yahweh and his wrath. Listen to Job. Job 37. Job 37. This is Elihu speaking. After it, a voice roars. He thunders with his majestic voice and he does not restrain the lightnings where his voice is heard. God thunders with his voice wondrously doing great things which we cannot comprehend. There's a shaking and an overturning power in God's word. And is that not true? Uh, once again, the, the writer of Hebrews doesn't he bring that up when he talks about the very word of God? For the word of God is living and active, Hebrews 4.12. Sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. There's the, just the power of God's word, right? It pierces through. It's a double-edged sword, a two-edged sword. And notice he says, back to Psalm 29, 
this voice, this word of Yahweh is upon the waters. He's talking about the raging Mediterranean Sea. It thunders, our glorious God rages like the raging sea waves. And he says, over many waters, think of it like a hurricane, tornado-like, hurricane-like waves. Notice verse four. The voice of Yahweh is powerful. The voice of Yahweh is majestic. He describes God's word with these adjectives. Powerful. In nature as a way to symbolize his fury. Interesting, the word majestic means ornament, a decoration, adorning. Uh, when you decorate something, and it shows its own glory when you decorate something, that's what he's doing. And that, that's the very word of God. It's decorative. It's adorning. And look at how powerful it is. Just how powerful is it? Verse five, the voice of Yahweh breaks the cedars. Yes, Yahweh breaks in pieces the cedars of Lebanon. These tall, beautiful, mighty cedars in all their strength. Maybe uh, Aaron's probably seen that. Who knows, maybe he saw it. These cedars in all their strength were broken by the power of God as the storm moved inland. Think of the huge redwood trees you have there in the Sierras. Not even the powerful, mighty cedars can stand against the storm, the voice of Yahweh. And look at what he says in verse six, and then into verse seven. Verse six, and he makes Lebanon skip like a calf and Syrian like a young wild ox. They refer to the quaking of the earth during a heavy thunderstorm. They dance to the Lord's tune like nothing. Syrian is another word for Mount Hermon, like a young wild ox, like the rhinos of, of, of India, they were swift, moving fast. Uh, verse seven, the voice of Yahweh hews out flames of fire. God's voice cuts or digs or hews weapons of fire. It is like lightning flashes. Yahweh's word is like a bolt of lightning. It's fun to watch that from very far away. You see a bolt of lightning right close to you. It's a whole different ball game. You feel the power. You feel it because you, you feel it's a rumbling, that thunder that comes, and you see its power coming from the sky. That's the voice of Yahweh. Look at verse 8. The voice of Yahweh shakes the wilderness, causes to whirl the desert. He's moving from the north now to the south, down to Kadesh Barnea. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. This is how powerful Yahweh's word, his voice is. And then he says this in verse nine. The voice of Yahweh makes the deer to calve. Makes the female deer give birth prematurely because of the power of this great storm. NIV translates this kind of odd, but so I think the New American Standard and the Legacy Standard Bible translates it better. Makes the deer to calve prematurely because of the power of this great storm. And then look at the next part of verse nine. And strips the force bare. The trees are knocked down. Strip bare of all their branches. He removes an uh, excuse me, removes and uproots entire sections of a vast forest like a raging tornado. 
And that's where his word uproots the hearts of men. God's word is so powerful. If it can uproot entire sections of a vast force like a storm, that means God's word can pierce the heart of people people who don't want anything to do with him, people that hate God, people that love the darkness rather than the light, God can do a work in their heart and change them and save them, can't he? And then look at how he ends this section in verse nine. And in his temple, everything says glory. With all that took place in the storm, with all of God's power displaying itself, we cannot help but say, wow, what a glorious God. You ever see that in a storm? You look at a storm, monsoon, you look at it, wow, that's amazing. When you see a raging storm, a vast hurricane, huge tornado, flashes of lightning, wow. So when the word of God goes forth and breaks the hearts of sinners, when the word of God goes forth and convicts the hearts of his people, all we can say is, wow, that's the glory of God. And if you don't know Christ, you're not here, you're here, you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, that's what should happen for you where you say, wow, here's the word of God. Here's Jesus who is the very living word of God. He can save you. He came, he died, and he rose. Repent and trust Christ. He will come. He will show you compassion. This is God's word going forth. Interesting, too. You have this concept I just mentioned. The word is mentioned in John 1. The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory. Jesus is the living word of God. And then here, he closes off this section of his power that's seen in nature in this last verse, verse 10. The Lord sat at the flood. What flood? Seems like he's talking about the great flood, the flood of Genesis, when God judged the earth, drowning the wicked for their iniquities. But just as well, the floods and the storms that brought destruction to the earth they're all controlled by the providence of God. He alone governs it all. The Lord sat at the flood. Yes, he says, Yahweh sits as king forever. These forces remain obedient to his will and he still reigns. He ruled when floods or storms brought destruction to the earth. He ruled when the great flood covered the earth. He rules the earth from his throne in the heavens in wrath and mercy. Over the earth, he is sovereign in his holy judgment on sin. That's how powerful his word is. That's how powerful our God is. And notice he says forever. He sits as king forever. Through all the dim ages, through all the storms that you face in life, the Lord sovereignly reigns firm and strong. And it's true, some natural disasters are used by God to bring about his judgment. That's true. But David here, he correlated God's word with the power of a storm, even the power of the great flood to show God, we should give God the credit he deserves because he shows his power in nature. So when we see God's power 
displayed in nature, it puts us on our knees because we get a glimpse of just how powerful Yahweh is when he speaks his glorious, powerful word. There's no need to fear. Great is our God. That's why we sang the song, Glorious Christ. And yet, how does God show his glory amongst us in the greatest way in the very word becoming flesh and dying on a cross for our sins? So, we give God the credit he deserves. Why? Because he shows his power in nature. But then David does this. Changes things here. Interesting. Verse 11. God shows his power. We give him the credit he deserves. Why? Because he shows his power in nature. But second, because he shows his power with us, his people. Yahweh will give strength to his people. Now, this is a different word that he uses from verse four. It's actually the same word he uses in verse one. When he says, give credit to Yahweh, O sons of the mighty, give credit to Yahweh, glory and strength. That's the same word that he used here in verse one. He says here, Yahweh will give that strength to his people. We as God's people belong to him and he gives to us a share of his own might and strength and notice, Yahweh will bless his people with peace. That brings us peace. While his wrath bursts over his foes, that strength upholds us as his people and we're given peace. He exerts his power power in a peculiar manner on behalf of his people. He upholds us. He cherishes us. He strengthens us with the same power that he has. What a gracious, merciful God. What a gracious, merciful God we serve. The same God who controls the forces of nature, who wields his control over nature, he wields his control for the benefit of his people, for your benefit, and and thus calms us. When we present ourselves as weak and needy, Yahweh God, as the word comes in to be our deliverer, our savior, and our provider. This is David. He closes this off. He closes off this psalm just giving God the credit he deserves. Yes, look at how how amazing that he is. He says, that amazing God is on our side. He loves his people. And what he did with Jesus, God showed his power, the power of the cross. It reminds us of what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. For the word of the cross is to those who are perishing foolishness, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. We are victorious and blessed with His peace in the midst of His voice of anger. We have peace with God and we are in the fellowship of peace with such well-being 
all because of God, all because of Yahweh. Romans 5.1, therefore I've been justified by faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We should stand in awe of his majesty because he alone is worthy and because we're defended by our invincible sovereign God. Listen to what Spurgeon says. He who wings the unerring bolt will give to his redeemed the wings of eagles. He who shakes the earth with his voice will terrify the enemies of his saints and give his children peace. Why are we weak when we have divine strength to flee to? Why are we troubled when the Lord's Lord's own peace is ours? Jesus, the mighty God, is our peace. What a blessing is this today at Spurgeon. So, when the storms of life rage, remember that our God is sovereignly in charge. The storms of life rage in your life. God is sovereignly in charge. So just give him the credit he deserves. And as we do, he strengthens us with that same power that he has and he will give us his peace. Let's thank him for it. Thank you, living word, the Lord Jesus, for you showed the power of God at the cross dying on our behalf, rising from the dead to display that you are a gracious, merciful God. Thank you for the psalm because when life hits us and hits us hard, David reminds us You're powerful and you give us that same power, that strength which brings us peace. Let us find our peace in you. We have peace with you through Jesus. Jesus, you are our peace. Help us as a body in this time of crisis that you will show your sovereign power. Give us peace, we pray. And I want to encourage you to take a few moments to reflect on what we've seen from God's word in Psalm 29. Talk to yourself, proclaim the gospel to yourself. Reflect and ponder. And we'll sing in just a moment. We'll do our closing prayer and benediction. But take these few moments just between you and the Lord to fill your mind with the truth. Please do that now.